The following episode will be explicit. We are going to have language and also a trigger warning for sexual assault because it is briefly discussed in this episode as it's important to scream. Okay, those who don't mind the disclaimers, enjoy. Fuck. Uh, give me a sec to put on the music. Give me a sec. Three, two, one. Here we go. Hi, I'm George, a.k.a. Spike Green, and this is the first time I'm hosting outside of my own house. I'm hosting at my friend Mitchell's. Mitchell? Hello there. Sorry about my voice, but you could call me ethical or otherwise Batman in terms of my voice. Oh, don't worry. Your voice sounds fine to me. Hey there, it's Chris, a.k.a. your boy Cinemaster. All right. And this is the first time also that we have three people on. And today we're going to talk about Scream and its impact on horror. Partially noted, partially improvised. All right. Now let's get on with the show. Shoutouts will be done at the end. All right. So, yeah, spoiler alert for the entirety of Scream. So, Chris, you want to start? Indeed, I do. Scream first came out in, originally came out in 1996 and was directed by Wes Craven, who had, who had, it also created uh, such cult classics as The, the Hills Have Eyes, Last House on the Left, and probably his most famous, A Nightmare on Elm Street, released oh, in 1984. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in fact, if I remember correctly, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which came out uh, two years uh, prior, uh, is sort of a dry run for Scream, sort of the prototype for it. Yeah. Any comments, Mitchell? Well, Scream turns out to be a really good movie. And because of this, it's um, really clever. Yeah. And um, it makes fun of horror movie tropes, even though the movie's mostly um, kind of a horror movie, horror itself, movie right? itself. Yeah. <coughs> Rather than a comedy. It definitely has the satirical moments. Like, yeah, it does. Yeah. I was going to say, it is a satire. Oh, definitely. Yeah, so... Uh... You know, the studio that produced it, Miramax, they were pretty big back in the day. Clerks, which I gave my thoughts on yesterday by myself, but also... In the production company, Dimension, known for Spy Kids films. Yeah. As, long, as well as Sharpway and Lava Girl in 2005. But we're going back to the 90s, so... This, yeah. era of, this era of Miramax, they still owns Dimension, and they have their library from pre-2005, so that includes Scream. So, you know, they also have... Miramax also owns Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, and a whole bunch of other stuff that they were way bigger than they were. So I reckon the opening scene's a great use of false advertising. I mean, you expect Drew Barrymore through the whole movie, but she's killed within the fucking opening scene, Chris. Yeah, that is true. I mean, the, in the trailers that were uh, created for a screen, but, and falsely advertised the fact that, the, that people thought that Drew Barrymore was actually going to be the lead role, but nope. Uh, she uh, she gets as gu- gutted from stem to stern directly in the, within the first few minutes. And I, yeah, yes, Mitchell? When it comes to the opening segment, speaking of what you all said, um, what's it called? It does confuse a lot of people if she was the main character in the beginning, but it turns out it was the character who was played by Nevett Campbell named Sidney Prescott. Hmm. So Sidney Prescott is the main character after all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what the story focuses on. If the trailer focused on Sidney Prescott, who is Neville Campbell's character, then people wouldn't be outraged in the first place. Yeah, it's better to confound expectations when you're a horror film. Don't be the same predictable thing. That's the whole mm. message of the film, I reckon. Yeah, major props to you, Wes Craven, and for, and for leading everyone else away from the actual main character. High praise. Yeah. Anyway, it turns out that our lead character, Sidney Prescott, the actual lead and not our fake away, 
He's actually dealing with a bit of uh, trauma of her own. See, a year prior, her mother had yeah, actually gotten... Um, raped and murdered, in fact. I did a trigger warning for sexual assault because of this plot thread. But basically, this sends, uh, this this gives Sydney PTSD and she just can't deal when she whenever she sees even a person in the Scream Killer masks. Or, or she gets really upset about the news and that it's been almost one year, obviously. And actually, the killer in the movie is actually known as Ghostface. And truth be told, there were actually many different masks that were suggested for Ghostface until it was later on agreed to use the peanut-eyed ghost mask, which is a true classic. Not to mention that they also use a secondary mask with different features. So you could tell which is Ghostface is which. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, Chris has actually seen Scream 1, 2, 3, and 4, I assume, yeah? Uh, yeah, actually, I have. Yeah, I've only seen the first one myself, but yeah. Mitchell, any comment? Um, well, I haven't been keeping up with the Scream movies, but thankfully we went back to the first film so we could keep up with it. And if we go through the other films, we'll give out our own thoughts and what we think of the franchise. Does it live up to this day besides the first film? Well, the first film does, but mm, but I wanted sequels to last long too mm. in future and be long as a legacy. Anyway, I wanted to note that Jamie Kennedy, one of the main actors in this movie, he also starred in another movie that was at least, um, well, less than a decade later. Probably one of the worst sequels ever made, Son of the Mask. Oh dear, I had to sit through fucking Son of the Mask and it was terrible. You yeah, ever I mean, seen it, Mitchell? <laughs> well, I have seen it, but I don't remember much, so I have nothing to say. Thank God, because that movie is a giant piece of shit. I mean, you know, this this particular episode is not even about Son of the Mask. We just wanted to briefly mention how shit it was, you know? Indeed. So next, uh, one thing in the opening scene that we commented was a bit overused was the doorbell trick, you know? Oh, that is so annoying. I hate it when they overuse that trick. Any horror cliches you hate, Mitchell? Um, the biggest horror cliches are the most common ones, like um, poorly done jump scares and dumb characters. And False jump scares, right? Characters with little to no personality. Mm. My uh, least favorite is all the diff- uh, is all the overused character stereotypes, like the la- like the dumb jock, the nerd, and especially the the dumb blonde trope. You sound like you were about to... Sorry, I, did I interrupt? Uh... No, I thought I was over. But, however, there is one game that actually gets away from all this, even though it has those stereotypes, but doesn't overuse it. Until Dawn. Oh, yeah, I've heard, uh, I've heard of Until Dawn. Yeah, that seems to and be... Yeah. Plus, has a lot of replay value. Oh, I've yeah. I've heard of it. It's basically, just a quick aside note on Until Dawn, it's a game for the uh, PS4, I think, where... I, yes. Yeah, it's a game for the PS4 where you get to choose what you do with the characters and who lives and who dies, and it's basically an interactive slasher movie. What I know of it is it asks you what scares you and then uses it against you later. So if you're scared of clowns, it'll use a clown against you. Am I right? Uh, I'm not sure if that game uses that. But actually, yes, yeah, sort of. <clears throat> so, yeah, uh, more about going back to Scream. I was thinking... <clears throat> We were thinking something during the movie. You know, what would you care about more? If you were running for your life like Drew Barrymore was, would you <laughs> would you care about getting killed by a guy in a mask or the fact that the popcorn's burning? <laughs> uh, I'd actually, 
Uh, you kidding me? I'd head for the hills. Yeah. Uh, no, pretty much hard to do both if you're able to multitask. Oh, yeah. Like, just quickly, if you're smart enough or you're able to think, then you just might as well put the popcorn in the sink and just water it up, and then you'll just run off like a bitch. Gee, <laughs> if only I had a time machine to go back in time, take the popcorn off the stove, and then get the hell out of there. <laughs> <laughs> that would be perfect. But then who would explain to you Drew Barrymore seeing each other? <laughs> That's true. I mean... She has been no taxi. She the scenery sometimes. <laughs> but also, yeah, I noticed something that uh, Wes Craven has done three pioneering horror films. I say The Last House on the Left was pioneering raw, sadistic horror, A Nightmare on Elm Street for the 1980s slasher craze that Black Christmas and Halloween predated, and finally Scream is a deconstruction of what he started. He originally wanted Scream to end the slasher cycle for good, but of course it didn't work. Even yeah. Scream had sequels. Actually, I got a few notes on that. And for one thing, in, there is something about Freddy Krueger that sets him apart from uh, most, uh, from most every other horror movie slashers. For someone who hasn't seen Elm Street, uh, what would you say to them? Well, to be honest, I'd say go watch the films. Start with the original and work your way through. Oh yeah, I would too. Just yeah. the fifth one is my least favorite, but yeah, go through them. They're mostly guilty pleasures. And if you and if you got the balls, you could even go through the lousy 2010 remake. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway. So back to Scream, yeah? Actually, what I was going to... A few things I was going to say was... The first was that... Uh, the thing that sets Freddy apart from most horror movie slashes is... Is he doesn't wear a mask. You actually see his face and he yeah. actually speaks to you. Giving, uh, giving a new level of terror that actually just annoys yeah. you. Except for the fact that his face is all burnt up or looks soggy whatsoever. True. <laughs> but the fact that he doesn't wear a mask is probably one of the scariest things about him. The yeah. other thing I... Yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say was was what you mentioned about uh, Scream deconstructing the horror genre. Yeah. Funny thing, though, 10 years later, Adam Green would actually reconstruct the horror genre with um, by going back to uh, the retro era, thanks to a little movie called Hatchet. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. It's a little cold classic that came out in 2006, and the main protagonist, Victor Crowley, is probably one of the scariest as, as villains I've ever seen. Okay. Especially given the fact that he's played by Kane Hodder, a repeat actor in the horror genre, who actually played Jason Voorhees four times. Okay. Any obscure horror movies after Scream that you'd recommend, Mitchell? Um, well, it's hard to decide because today some horror movies lack innovation or any originality, but there are good ones like A Quiet Place. Oh, A Quiet Place was so good. And um, I'm trying to think of other horror films from... Around this decade and the 2000s as well. Uh, what about Midsommar? That's a good one. That's on my watch list. Oh, yeah, I don't know much about Midsommar, but it is recent. And that's why I don't know much about it. But I will get into it as soon as possible or maybe. Oh. Because I like And if you have the stomach for it, you can probably step into some of Brian Usen's horror films. Including a little film called Society, which will definitely drive you into the, uh, what the heck am I watching? Yep. Oh, and along with the um, It reboot, as long as, as well as its sequel. Of course, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, I count them as one film, even though they were released separately. It's like the Kill Bill situation. As long as we count the miniseries, of course. The what? miniseries, what? of course. What? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <clears throat> I think that... Uh, 
Yeah, let's see what else we got. Uh, I reckon there's great foreshadowing for who actually is the killer. Because the guy who eventually is revealed to be one of the killers toward the start in the conversation says, you take a knife and you slit him from groin to sternum. And that's exactly what happened to Drew Barrymore and, well, yeah, just Drew Barrymore. Her boyfriend got disemboweled too, but in a different way, you know? Hold on, wasn't that mentioned by Principal Hembry? Uh... Yeah, he actually did say that earlier on in the movie. And fun fact, he was actually he played by Henry Winkler, a.k.a. Fonzie from Happy Days. Happy Days! And he didn't jump a shark this time, he got stabbed. Hey. <laughs> oh, don't worry about me. I'm not sure what to say at this moment. That's okay. It's your first time podcasting, I understand. <laughs> it's all good. Let me check the time. It'll, this technology only allows me to record up to half an hour per recording, so... Hmm. Uh, let's see... So I reckon that going back to uh, Sydney Prescott and the trauma about her mother who was raped and murdered, I think that Wes Craven actually seems to use rape a lot in his films. The Last House on the Left focuses on villains who are, who are rapists, which is not really a spoiler. You find that out pretty quickly. Yeah. And Nightmare on Elm Street focuses on a villain who was originally going to be a child molester. And Scream, of course, states that Sydney's mother, Maureen, was raped and murdered. My question is, what is the fascination with rape in horror films? And um, please keep in note that in the original Nightmare on Elm Street, he was, uh, he, it was instead switched for him to be a child killer. He didn't become a child molester until the remake. Yeah, I mean, some of the scariest horror is sexually disturbing, like all those designs in Alien that are all phallic. So anyway, yes, uh, moving on. I reckon also home invasion tends to be the scariest thing. You think you're safe in your home. But it's made better that Ghostface can't kill in your sleep, so you still have a, a fighting chance and people will actually believe you. It's scary when you're thought of as mentally ill, you know? Any uh, thoughts? Yeah, I can actually think of a, a much scarier home invasion film on the, on the, on the screen, than what Scream was trying to do. A little film from 2008 called The Strangers. Essentially, it basically tries to um, represent 70s home invasion films. Whereas the sequel, Pray at Night, it focused on 80s slasher films. But for the original Strangers, it was a straight-up home invasion film, and it felt very dark at times. Okay. So, yeah, I love that there's a cliche subverted. Sydney runs downstairs, then out the door, only to see a cop in, with the mask. And also, I like, like, sort of a unique perspective of the slasher film. You don't normally see the other side of the news team. Sure, you see a few news bulletins. This happened, and this happened. But you never get into the mindset of them, you know? Hmm. So, yeah. Um, Mitchell, you said something during the movie about darker films with comedic moments? Oh, yes. <clears throat> well, you don't have to take a movie way too seriously. Sometimes some characters can be comedic because of their personality. Like you have a comic relief on the camera watch or on the TV feed mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah. Sometimes they can be funny, but as long as the jokes work. Well, of course, yeah. Not like a certain Misa, know that you hate me in Phantom Menace. Yeah, <laughs> and sometimes, and sometimes they can actually dress up as some of their own fictional characters. Ain't that right, Wes? Oh yeah, Wes Craven makes a cameo as a janitor called Fred, who is in that trademark, like not quite the sweater, but like a red and green sweater that he deliberately chose for Elm Street to clash with the human eye. <laughs> actually, you keep a note that the swe- uh, that the uh, Freddy sweater that Wes was wearing actually he is a nod to the original Nightmare on Elm Street because. As the original sweater, it didn't have, have striped sleeves. That didn't happen until the sequel. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I really liked that cameo. I just loved it. 
Of course, I love that Wes Craven even gets that his character, like he's the director in this world technically, as well as a cameo. So, you know, uh, I think it's Tatum who says, you sound like some Wes Carpenter flick or something, mistaking Wes Craven and John Carpenter together, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, seriously, what the hell is wrong with you, Tatum? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Do you want to say something, Mitchell? Oi, so back to that cliche, some cliches have to happen unless if you're came with a clever idea. Mm, definitely. If you can subvert the cliche, it's definitely better. Exactly. And that helps a movie become more original. Yeah, true that. Also, one thing I found pretty funny was um, somewhere during the, in the second act in the movie when Randy actually had to, to explain in the different rules that you had to follow in order to survive a horror movie. Like, for one, you can never have sex. Sex equals death. Yeah. In most horror movies, the, the virgin either dies last or survives to the end. Mm. Number two, you can't do drugs or, or drinks. I mean, that is a serious no-no and will get you killed instantly. Oh. And rule three, never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Because you're not going to come right back. And it's true. These, this happens in a lot of, especially slasher movies, you know, that... Don't go for complete realism, like a Nightmare on Elm Street or something like that. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't like an ultra-realistic film like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which we'll eventually do a podcast on, and oh. is incredibly confronting film, that one. Yeah, I get that, Mr. Rooker. Oh, that was Michael Rooker's first role, yeah. Hmm? Uh, speaking of those tropes, um, sometimes Scream breaks the fourth wall, or sometimes self-aware, even for late 90s standards or mid-90s standards. Yeah, I mean, Pulp Fiction was postmodern enough, but it never really broke the fourth wall, as much as I love Pulp Fiction. But then two years later, Scream comes out and makes fun of all the horror cliches almost directly. It isn't like Deadpool level breaking the fourth wall, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's because Deadpool wouldn't be all up in your face and probably just is beating the crap out of you just to steal your wallet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know the newscaster in this film, Courtney Cox... Um, her partner in the film, David Arquette, they got married. They eventually got divorced, but they got married after production in the film. My personal favourite scene in this film also is when Randy's watching a movie and says, behind you, Jamie, behind you, behind you. That is before the killer just passes him, narrowly avoids killing him, which I yeah. thought was really good. Yeah, the little software joke there is that uh, and he was and he was saying, Jamie, look behind you to the TV because it was Jamie Lee Curtis on the TV. Of course, also- yeah, we don't, we don't need to explain it entirely. I think it's pretty obvious, though. Yeah. I think we had the idea. Also, I was just thinking during this, never wear a white shirt in a horror movie. Like, you, you, you're going to get blood on it, guaranteed, unless you're maybe in Poltergeist, but even then. Not to mention, it, and sometimes if you wear a white shirt, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah, I like some of the facts. This film actually gives trivia for other films, like corn syrup is what they used for the pig's blood in curry, so no pigs were harmed. And there's an argument posed in the film, it's scarier, it's a lot scarier when villains don't have a motive. But would you agree or not? The more you know about a villain, the less scary he becomes, maybe? Well, it works in some ways. Take uh, take the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for example. Of course, no spoilers for Texas Chainsaw, just try to be vague, of of course. course. Basically, the Sawyer family in the main antagonist of the movie, don't really have any motive. They're just a bunch of vicious cannibals who, who just want to psychologically torture you. Nothing else. Oh, definitely. So, uh, Mitchell, what do you reckon? Is it is it scarier when villains don't have a motive? Nah. Mm, well, not really. I think um, 
it's better if villains have motivation so the character is more <clears throat> interesting because without a motive, it was making a character more bland and generic. I'm sometimes really biased on films, but as long as it makes sense. Oh, definitely. Not to mention the fact that throughout most horror movies, there's always one major, major motive used for a lot of the slashers. Yes. You know what that is? Revenge! Dun, dun, dun. Freddy's revenge. <laughs> revenge, speaking of that, is the most used motive in horror films. And Quentin Tarantino films. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I love Tarantino films, don't get me wrong, but... <laughs> yeah, true. <clears throat> also, one thing that I love is I love how blood's used in this film. You know, f- fuck the CGI blood that they use these days that barely goes over anything. Once it splatters, it disappears. No. Not, not cool, Freddy vs. Jason. Mm. When you get practical blood, it gets on objects and clothing and is clearly practical rather than some afterthought that you... Ba- that you batched up in a computer, you know? Yeah, I mean, ask Tom Savini. He is one of the true masters is of the bloody stuff. I mean, one of his best his makeup effects was way back in the original Friday the 13th, but I'm not going to spoil that. Hmm. My argument with blood is it's better to show blood when violent attacks are happening. All these films where someone gets shot and not a drop of blood comes out is just irresponsible. People have got to know that violent acts cause messy consequences, which is why I would prefer the depiction of violence in, say, John Wick to say something like, I don't know, Casino Royale, which is clearly intending to be a serious action film but doesn't have at least... A little bit of blood. I think maybe some, but... John Wick does... And John Wick is also an action film, but it does, does need to show the blood a lot more because in that one, it actually makes sense. Wick is actually just is beaten down to, to a bloody pulp and has everything taken away from him. Yeah. He's got nothing left to lose, for crying out loud. Yes. And that's what makes Wick's character decent. Of course. Not to mention pretty fucking terrifying. But let's go back... To, let's not get too off track. Let's go back to Scream. <laughs> that's why I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, back to Scream. So sometimes we go on tangents and, you know, that's like kind of part of our show, but we don't go on them for too long. And speaking of some of the special behind-the-scenes stuff, let's talk about the three biggest names of the makeup effects. Robert Kurtzman, Howard Berger, and my personal favorite, Greg Nicotero, who's done all sorts of stuff, even on The Walking Dead, for crying out loud. Mm, Yeah. Wasn't Walking Dead that show where someone's head got crushed? I, I don't know. I never... I never continued watching it after the first season, but I always was a fan of uh, the show's composer, Bear McCreary, who also did the uh, the score for the 2019 reboot of Child's Play. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's got to be on my watch list. You know, a bunch of horror movies are on our watch list anyway. Um, so... You know, I find it quite I find it quite ironic. One insult in Scream is particularly ironic for me. Someone's saying, they're a virgin, they're a virgin. And someone says, fucker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is a little bit funny, but also a little bit stereotyping. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, any... Would you, would you like to add any points that we don't have listed here? Mitchell or Chris? I am not sure. I ran out of things to point oh, out. Oh, yeah, actually, this one is actually pretty... A good one. The fact that in most horror movies, there's only one killer. But in Scream, the original one at least, there's two. In this film, it's Billy Loomis, it's, it's Sydney's uh, boyfriend, and his peer friend, Stu Mathers. It's, I mean, Billy's whole motive is that, um, uh, if I remember correctly, Sydney's dad had uh, made out with uh, Billy's mom. And that's why... No, wait, it was the other way around. Billy's dad made out with Sydney's mom, and that's why Billy's mom left, and they just bloody murdered her. 
So they did provide a motivation, which indeed made it a bit scarier that someone would do something on such a little thing. Yeah, basically, a billion is just saying that it kills a lot more scary with, a, with no motive. They're basically just uh, saying no to their entire question. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and of course, the old horror cliche, supposedly dead killer comes to life for one last scare, but then this subverts it cleverly when they just when she fucking shoots him in the head, <clears throat> when Courtney Cox comes along and shoots him. Bang! <laughs> How's that for a close-up, Chris said in the screening. <laughs> yep, I sure did. So, yeah. So, that's all we got to talk about this episode? Yeah, I... Au revoir. I think that's all we got to talk about, so... Tally-ho! All right, now I'm going to do the shout-outs. Now with the shout-outs, three, two, one, here we go! Shout-outs to Teacup Arenas, Classic Blondes, Naked Airplane. I would also like to give shout-outs to KO, Savage Elbow, Carloffel Grande, El Salt One, Sam from IJ, Still Mellow, Lee, JM75, Contrera, Tessicat, Pat Cat, Mary Amber, Real Sharks Podcast, a.k.a. Riri Sharky. Thank you for making me partner. Autistic in Melbourne. Ashy Slashy, Heavenly Imagine, Rose Begali, Larry1937-2621, Dev Diner, My Belly Unicorn, Talk Me Into, Schlockluster Video, bonus shoutouts to Films with Amy Nathan Seabolt, Film Mama Tick, and Liz Slade. We need your voice, because you can help change things for the better. Peace out. <laughs>